All right. Well, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Hope all of you guys are doing well this morning. Miss you. Wish we were all together uh, in person uh, this morning, but I'm glad that we could all join together. For those of you on Zoom, I know that we've had a few audio issues with Zoom uh, this morning. And so if that is continuing, if the sound is choppy, encourage you to jump on over to YouTube or Facebook. We know that the sound over there is much more uh, clear this morning. Hey, if you're new with us, first time tuning in, uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and I'd love to meet you one day praying that uh, that could happen. Actually, you know, today marks the 49th Sunday that we as a church have not been able to meet together in person in our normal gathering place at Herndon Middle School. Like, can you believe that? 49 Sundays we have not been where we normally gather together as a church. And, and so here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, prior to this pandemic, if you were to pull me aside and ask, hey, Alan, do, what do you think would happen to Grace Hill if you did not have a place to gather in person for over a year, right? I, I probably would have said that it would be hard for any church to survive that. And, and that's not because churches can't survive without buildings, but I, it's because I believe churches cannot survive without the people of the church being together in person. And, and one of the things that has given me like great joy, great encouragement in the midst of this pandemic and the hardship of the past year has been watching you as Grace Hill Church press in, engage, uh, take care of one another and stick together through this year. I really believe that not only uh, we have survived as a church through this, but I, I think in many ways we have we have thrived. Uh, but my belief remains. I, I don't think a church can survive over the long haul without being together in person. I believe that God has designed the church to be a physical relational experience that cannot be duplicated digitally. And, and that is why we as a church have set a date of March 21st. All right, you, If you were at our member meeting several weeks ago, you know this. But we have set a date of March 21st as the day when we are going to resume gathering together in person every single day. Week And we're going to have more details on exactly what that's going to look like uh, soon. Um, but of course, we want to do that in a way that it's going to be safe. It's going to be wise given the pandemic that we're facing right now. But at the same time, we also want to recognize the reality that our souls need to be at church. We need to be at church together. In person, your soul needs to be with your church family in person. And so this morning, uh, we're going to begin a sermon series leading up to uh, that Sunday when we're all together in person 
called Show Up. And this sermon series is is going to be a study in the scriptures about why we must be together in person as a church. Why you and your family need to be committed to being with the church in person every single week. Okay, when it comes to attending church every week, I think as Christians, we focus really well on the what. Okay, we know that we need to be at church, but we don't focus that much on the why. All right, we know that we should be at church every week, but do we really understand why that is the case? Right? Do we know why God wants us as his people to assemble together in person on a regular basis? Do we know why our souls will be harmed if we deprive ourselves of being with our church family? Do we know why we won't be able to truly reach people for Christ in our town if our church is not together in person on a regular basis? Uh, Do we know why it's impossible to live the Christian life alone? It is the why that we want to answer in this series. And my prayer for this series is that God would begin to prepare us to pivot, to turn the corner, and to be ready to return to the rhythm of being with our church family every single week. And that's why we need to understand the why. We need to believe that we need to be with one another. Now, Obviously, this comes with a big caveat, right? And here it is. I'm going to be preaching really hard on why we need to be together in person. I'm not saying that live streaming during the pandemic was a bad thing to do. I'm not trying to show that live stream uh, that, that I'm not trying to show that we shouldn't use technological tools like this to keep us safe when necessary. I'm not trying to guilt you into gathering with the church before you are comfortable when it comes to the pandemic. But what I am trying to show with this is that this live streaming thing, this doing this online, this needs to be a special, rare circumstance over the life of the church and not a norm. All right. So that, that's the big caveat with this. All right. So to kick us off this morning, uh, we're just going to do a little Bible study. All right. I have one verse this morning that we're going to really dig into uh, from Ephesians chapter three to get us started on why the church needs to be get together in person. All right. So if you have your Bible, go open that to Ephesians chapter three. And we're going to look real closely at verse 10 uh, of Ephesians 3, but we'll look at the context too. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to get that out. We'll put things on the screen, but um, this might be one of those Sundays where it's good just to be able to see all of the text at one time and we can kind of follow along. All right, so Ephesians chapter 3, get that open. We're going to take a look at verse 10. And what I want to do is I really want to break this verse down for all of us, word by word, so we understand exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this particular verse. All right, so I'm going to pop this verse up on the screen, and we're going to, we're going to take a look at it uh, nice and closely. So this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, 
This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Now, let me, let me break this down a little bit, okay? The verse starts with, with this right here, okay? This is referring to the context back before the verse, okay? So we will go back, we'll read that and understand what is Paul coming from here. But let's just take more clo- more close look at the verse here. It says, so this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom. I want to break this down here for a second. This is actually a really fascinating verse here. Um, this word multifaceted, I'm reading from the CSB version, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, I know the, the English Standard Version, for example, and the NIV and the King James Version will translate that as the manifold wisdom of God. Um, the New Living Translation, I actually think, gets it a little better than the other translations. It will say the wisdom of God in its rich variety. But if you look here, the, 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 the Greek word that is being translated here, okay, is this word polypkokilos. Polypoikilos, all right? And so if you break this word down, poly, right? This means many or multi. And this word poikilos here means, it could mean colors. Um, It could mean variety, okay? And so what the verse is saying here is that God's wisdom here is of many colors. This is actually a word used in a lot of other Greek literature to describe something like a big field of wildflowers, right? So if you think of a field of wildflowers, right, there's, there's, it's real complex. It's very intricate. There's all different kinds of flowers and shades of colors in there, but it all comes together in one beautiful scene. All right, and that's what this word is describing. It is the the rich variety of God's wisdom, the many colors of God's wisdom. Um, I think a way that we could describe this is something like intricate beauty or complex beauty or what I want to say for the rest of our sermon, the mind-blowing beauty of God's wisdom. All right? So I I dug into that because that's going to be so important for where we're going today. So I want you to get what is this verse actually saying? It says this, this is so that God's mind blowing beauty and wisdom. Now continue the verse may now be made known through the church. All right. Now this is your Greek word ecclesia. Okay. So that means assembly. All right, so remember when the New Testament refers to the church, it is referring to local assemblies of believers, believers coming together in person to worship together. All right, so God's multifaceted wisdom, mind blowing beauty may now be made known through the church, the assembly of the church, and it says to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. In other words, to the cosmos or everything that God's mind-blowing beauty may be made known to everything through the church. All right? There's Ephesians 3.10 for us. The mind-blowing beauty of God's wisdom and purposes, listen, will be primarily displayed 
through the assembling of the church. Right? That's what this verse is saying. The mind-blowing beauty of God's wisdom and purposes will be primarily displayed through the assembling of the church. Okay, so imagine a blank canvas where God is going to paint this mind-blowing piece of art. Okay, that blank canvas is the church. And if we're not together, we're going to miss the picture that God is going to paint. And this morning, I want to show all of us practically what that means and why it is that if we forsake assembling with one another in person, we will miss out on the mind-blowing beauty of what God is doing in the world. All right? So let's do this. Let's look at the context of our verse this morning because it's going to give us an example of the kind of masterpiece that God is painting on the canvas of the church. All right, so in your Bible, let's go back a few verses to verse 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Let's read this together. It says this, and I'm now reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Okay, real quick. So, so Paul is talking about this mysterious plan that God has revealed to him for him to go preach and make, make known to others and obviously write about as scripture. Okay, what is this plan? Well, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of our Bible to really understand this. We read in Genesis 1 and 2 about how God created everything. And everything was right and everything was perfect. It was this place called the Garden of Eden. And listen, it was the complete picture of the mind-blowing beauty of God's wisdom. That's, that's Eden, right? But something horrible went wrong. In Genesis 3, we read about how the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And what does Genesis 3 say that Adam and Eve did when they realized what they had done? It says that they hid from God. They ran away. They covered themselves up and then they blamed each other. And so what Genesis 3 teaches us is that when sin entered the world, when the fall happened, shame entered the world. Shame. This belief and feeling that you are not the person you ought to be. Uh, This belief that if people really knew the actual you and your real story, they would ridicule you. They would leave you. And so because of shame, we hide We cover ourselves and we shame others, right? This is the poison that entered our world at the fall. And and we're all affected by it. We all have shame. And we all, just like Adam and Eve, deal with our shame by hiding, by covering ourselves up and shaming others, right? We we hide our true selves from other people because we're ashamed. We don't want people to discover our deep, dark secrets, 
We cover ourselves up and pretend we're someone different. And we shame others, right? Through judging others, gossiping about others, vilifying others. Because if I sense that shame might be coming my way, then by shaming others, I deflect that shame from coming upon me and onto others. This is why Adam and Eve in the garden, when God asked what they had done, right? What did they do? They blamed each other. And so what happens in our world is shame creates a lot of division and hostility in the world. Okay. Would you look at our world today and say, man, there is a lot of division and a lot of hostility, right? Because we're all trying to avoid being shamed by others. And one strategy that so many of us utilize in order to avoid shame is by proving ourselves superior to others, right? If I can demonstrate that I am better than you, then in my head, I have redirected shame from me onto you, right? All of humanity has become a war of avoiding shame and redirecting it to other people, right? This is why we have so much division, so much segregation in our world. We all hide and don't allow ourselves to be known. We all avoid shame by directing it at others. Now, here's the deal. God has promised us in the scriptures that he is going to do something to deal with our shame and redeem the world from our sin. And so this mysterious plan that Paul is referring to here in Ephesians 3 is an example of how God is reversing all of the division and shame that came into our world at the fall. And God gave Paul a very specific ministry in applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to a very specific conflict amongst God's people. Like pretty much for all of human history, there has been a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people, and therefore they superior to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were these ungodly, sinful, dirty people in the eyes of the Jews. And there was always this conflict between these two groups. Even in the Old Testament, God made it very clear to Israel that he blessed them so that they may pass that blessing along to the Gentiles. But the Jews pretty much ignored that part and, and took pride in being God's chosen people, but didn't do the whole pass the blessing along. So there was division and hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, There was shame entered into this relationship. All right, so with that context, go back to Ephesians 3 with me. Look at verses 6 to 9. It says this. Paul's continuing. He says, this is God's plan. Here's the mysterious plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. 
Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. All right. How does this all come together this morning? You ready? We have a blank canvas and God wants to create a masterpiece that displays the mind blowing beauty of his wisdom. And here are the colors in his palette. All right. Here are the, 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 the colors of the paints that he's going to use. We've got the Jews with a superiority complex. We got the Gentiles who live godless lives. We got shame. We have division. We have hostility. That's our color palette. And God is now going to paint. And the brush in God's hand is his son, Jesus, and his gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God has not left us in our shame, but he has entered into our shame with us. Jesus came, he lives with us in our shame, he went to the cross to bear our shame, and he rose again from the dead, declaring victory over our shame. And he offers us a new life that is no longer defined or controlled by shame. And so, God takes this paintbrush, and what we read here in Ephesians 3 is that the Jews find their salvation in Christ, And the Gentiles find their salvation in Christ too. And through Jesus, both the Jews and the Gentiles have their shame erased. Both are invited into the family of God. And what this painting begins to depict is a people who are no longer ashamed They no longer have to hide. They no longer have to pretend. And they no longer have to hate each other or shame each other or act superior to one another. And it's all because of the endless treasures available to them in Christ. They are part of the same body. Reconciled now. Brothers and sisters. See, the church is the canvas upon which God will display the mind-blowing beauty of his wisdom. Where God takes what is broken in our world and he redeems it into something beautiful. He takes a people who were divided and they hated each other and he reconciles them and makes them one. Right? This is why his wisdom is mind-blowing, because he can literally take our shame and he can paint Eden out of it. And here in Ephesians 3, the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles is one example of how God is displaying the mind-blowing beauty of his wisdom in the church, through the church. And it cannot be displayed unless the church assembles together in person. Why? Why must it be through the assembly? Because when the church assembles, the gospel begins to do its work as we are in one another's presence. 
Think about it. When we come together as a church in person, either shame is going to dictate how we relate with one another or the gospel is going to dictate how we relate with one another. And God wants to take his paintbrush, the gospel, and he wants to paint a masterpiece where people have a safe place to share their shame because they know it's been nailed to the cross. Where people are treated as family because everyone is bought by the blood of Jesus. Where divisions are erased because God is now our father. Where forgiveness and grace rule the day. Right, A a great example of this uh, in the scripture is uh, the beginning of the Philippian church in Acts 16. Right, So Paul plants a church in Philippi and he eventually writes a letter, uh, the, the letter of Philippians to them. But in Acts 16, we read about the first converts uh, in Philippi, in Philippi, who were undoubtedly a part of that first church. So in Acts 16, Paul travels to Philippi. And so Paul is our first church member. He's church member number one, Paul, right? A former Pharisee who used to murder Christians, who then converted and then became an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's Paul. The second church member is a lady named Lydia, who was a wealthy businesswoman. The third church member was a young girl who was a former slave, and she was demon-possessed at one point, and Paul cast the demon out. So she was most likely very poor. And then the fourth church member was actually a Roman prison guard who imprisoned Paul. And then they had the whole earthquake experience together and he came to Christ. And actually his whole family joined the church. All right. So here is our church in Philippi so far. We have a former Pharisee who used to murder Christians, an upper class businesswoman, a lower class young girl who used to be demon possessed and a Roman prison guard. Right. These people could not be more diverse and different from one another. In the wisdom of the world, there should be hostility between these people. And think of the shame that these people are bringing to this church family. Think of the shame Paul felt as someone who used to murder Christians. And he refers to it in our text in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, when he says he was the least deserving of all saints to be able to preach the gospel. Because Paul was struggling with shame about his past. Think of the shame of the Roman prison guard, how he used to torture people, and how he imprisoned Paul for preaching the gospel. Think of the shame of the young girl who didn't have any money. She was poor and was a former slave, and she used to be possessed by a demon, right? We could just keep going. Yet God took all of this shame, all of this division, all of this hostility, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he paints A masterpiece. Upon the canvas of the church, God displays the mind-blowing beauty of his wisdom. He demonstrates how he can redeem anything. He shows that shame will not define his people or his church. In Grace Hill, we... We are a canvas unto which God wants to paint the same kind of masterpiece. 
We are a canvas where God wants to begin to show us what it's like to live in Eden where there is no shame. And in order for us to experience that kind of work from God, we must assemble together every single week. We must be together. The church is not just a place where we just receive content and receive teaching. No, the church primarily is a family where we see the gospel do its work in and among our relationships with one another. The church is a place where we experience what it looks like to let go of our shame and let go of our sorrow. And this masterpiece that God is painting, it doesn't get painted through live streams or podcasts or things like that. God will not display the mind-blowing beauty of his wisdom through YouTube. We have to be together. We have to be a family. Because it's when we're together in person where you can notice when one of your brothers or sisters seems off. Right? And you can go to them. Give them a hug and see what's going on. You know, I'll never forget, I don't know, this is a year or two ago, we had a family that was attending our our church. Um, They've since moved away. But remember, one week they announced on social media that they were pregnant. And uh, so on that Sunday, I saw the dad at church. Man, went up to him, big smile on my face, so excited to give him a hug, to say congratulations. I was so excited for them. And I'll never forget, as I expressed my excitement for them, how his face looked at me and just fell. And I knew it. He didn't even have to say words. They lost the baby. And tears just welled up in both of our eyes and we fell into each other and embraced And I was grateful that our church could be a place where he could bring his sorrow. Even in that, God was painting a masterpiece in the midst of utter pain. It's when we're together in person where we can do that for one another. That doesn't happen over a live stream. That doesn't happen from our homes. That happens when we're together. Right? It's when we're together in person where when conflict erupts, when we hurt each other, when we offend one another, and instead of ignoring each other and letting weeks pass by because we never see each other, it's when we're together that we can go after one another. We can give each other the benefit of the doubt. We can show empathy. We can seek understanding and not let shame rule the day, right? Conflict's going to happen in the church. We're going to offend each other and step on each other's toes. Any family does. But instead of letting that fester, when the church gathers, we go to one another as Jesus commanded us to and forsake the divisive ways of the world, the shameful ways of the world. Right? Have you noticed it's easier to be bolder with your words through email and text and social media than it is in person? 
right? Because when we're in person, we're emotionally connecting on the spot. We're seeing in real time how our words are affecting another person. And when we run towards each other in the midst of conflict, instead of away from each other, God is painting. Even in our sin against one another, he is painting a mind-blowing masterpiece as he brings us together. Instead of our sin against one another ripping our community apart, it actually becomes a part of the palette that God uses to make our community that much more like Eden. And listen, that doesn't happen over a live stream. It's when we're together in person, we're just like the Philippian church. Our differences don't clash with one another, but come together to make this beautiful, multicolored, multifaceted, mind-blowing masterpiece. Where the rich fellowship with the poor, where different races find more in common than different where the widow can find community and safety, where the immigrant can find a home, where the single mom can find encouragement and help, where the wandering teenager can find stability, dignity, affection, where the husband and wife realize they're not alone in their struggle, where the grieving can find those to mourn alongside of them, And where the sinner finds that he is not too far gone to be loved and embraced by God and his people. The church gathered together in person is the canvas where God shows that he can paint a masterpiece through the brokenness and shame of this world. And this is why we must commit to being together in person, every week. Because if we neglect it, we'll miss out on the masterpiece. And so through the next several weeks, we're going to continue to study the scriptures to learn why God wants us to be together in person and how he's painting this masterpiece. And we're going to talk about not only how God commands us to show up physically, with one another at every church, uh, at, at church every single week. But how God also desires for us to show up relationally with one another at church every single week, engaging with each other, going after one another. Right? But what it means to be a place where we can openly share our stories and our shame. Right? What it means to be a place where we are curious about the stories of others, what it means to be a place that is trustworthy for people to share their shame and their sorrow. Those are the things that we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks, because when we show up in one another's lives, physically and relationally, God will display the mind blowing beauty of his wisdom through us. And listen, that's a masterpiece. That's a painting that will be compelling and attractive to our neighbors and those who do not know Christ. That is the kind of church they are looking for. Not the place where everyone is hiding and everyone's covering up and everyone under their breath is shaming one another. 
Oh, church, if we're honest, it's so easy to fall into that. But our neighbors are looking for the kind of church and community where you can be honestly you and still loved and accepted. That's the kind of community and that's the kind of family that all of humanity craves because God designed us that way. And so, Great Hill, it's time to turn the corner. It's time to come together again in person and let God begin to paint that masterpiece. And so on March 21st, we're going to begin meeting together again in person. And I'm going to have some more specific details for you about what that's going to look like during our announcements in just a few minutes. But let's all begin to prepare ourselves for being together again as a church in person every single week. And I, I, I honestly, I can't wait. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us real quick. When I'm done, we have a quick video for you that I hope that you'll stick around for. And then I'm going to come back on and give us a few more details on exactly what that's going to look like. All right, let me pray. God, I'm just so grateful uh, for the truth of Ephesians 3.10. Um, and God, I'm so grateful that you are hopeful for the church because your will, your sovereign will is that the church will display your mind-blowing beauty and wisdom. You will do that through the church. And so God, I pray for Grace Hill that we would be in on that. That we would be a place where we don't hide, we don't cover up. We don't shame each other, but we let the gospel heal and bring us together. So God, we pray that you would allow our church to begin to gather in person safely, wisely. We pray that you would provide for that. Lord, I know the church globally just longs to be able to be together again without the hindrances of a pandemic and masks and distancing that we want to be the people of God together in person as you have designed it. And God, we pray that you would allow us to do that soon. We love you, God. Prepare us to turn that corner to be together again. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.